Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and what an honor it is to have Jamie Attenberg here again, my second, second time guest. Um, she's the New York Times bestselling author of seven books of fiction, including The Middlesteens and All This Could Be Yours. She's contributed essays to The New York Times Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, The Sunday Times, and The Guardian. She lives in New Orleans. Her new book is called I Came All This Way to Meet You. Hello. I get to go on twice. I yeah. feel special. Yeah. Yeah, you are. You are. But, I'm going to come as, as long as you'll have me. I'll keep coming. Okay, good. I mean, well, uh, I think this is such an unprecedented move for you, Jamie, because I've known you for many years now. And you used to say that you would never write a memoir. What changed? That, that is true. Wait, okay. Before we get into that, before we mm-hmm. answer the question, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I woke up before o'clock this morning and I was like, I have to remember to say this before Maris does anything yeah. in her interview because she won't, we'll never bring it up and I'll start talking and then I'll forget about it, which is that the ending of my book would not exist without you Aww. because you told me how to end my book. You so. just had a little extra beat. Well, partly it was, um, I am always concerned about dog represent- representation. Yes. <laughs> and I was not talking about my dog at all or thinking about my dog at all, but I had been revising the ending of that book like a million times. It had like a million different, it was like always the same place, but it was like a different notes and tones and everything like that. And then I finally sent it to you to read and you said, you should, this is how I think of you. And this is how you should do it. Well, I'm sure I, you didn't say you like... should, you said, why, why don't you, what about this? And then it worked. And that's why Maris is a brilliant editor. Thanks, Jamie. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I mean, my comment to you was because it seems like so much of, of I came all this way to meet you is about the concept of home and what you've built um, in, in New Orleans. And certainly it's also about travel, but there's something really, um, I don't want to say charming, comforting about the yes. idea of you being snugly and happy at home. Yes. And, and I think like even we wouldn't have been able to come up with a subtitle, which is writing myself home if we didn't, if the book didn't land there. It was really about figuring out where the book should land. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can't see where book should land and somebody else needs to see it for you okay now I'm going to answer your question yes please do but I just wanted to give you credit where it's due Mm -hmm. um I I really didn't ever want to write a memoir um my dog just walked in the room to say hello um I really didn't want to write a memoir um, ever because it sounded like it was a terrible thing to go through in terms of publishing it more than anything else. It's already really hard to publish things when you write a novel. Um, And uh, and I didn't, I wrote, I have written a lot of personal essays in my life and that sort of felt like enough in terms of like telling my personal story. Yeah. And then what happened was, there are a couple of things that happened. One is that I wrote a bunch of novels um and I needed to take a break from the form I think even though if I even though I didn't really know it at the time but I definitely had the feeling like I'm gonna 
die if I have to write another one of these because I had written you know yeah one every two years for 14 years that seemed like a lot that's a lot and um and then so I was interested in, in trying out new forms and stretching myself in that way um and I had some stories that I wanted to tell that are in the book that I couldn't have told like I don't think a magazine would necessarily published it published them one in particular I'm thinking about even though it's you know I think it's well written and, and deserves to be as published as much as anything else but it just didn't seem like the kind of story that was going to be a fit into any sort of conventional box and often when you're writing for magazines or newspapers mm -hmm. and they have you know a specific section or um word count or whatever it is I don't think it would have fit into that necessarily and um and so a little bit of me, a little bit was that I wanted to write a, a book so that those stories could be told. And I, and I thought I can just build, start building around it and see, and see what happens. Um, so I think those are, and then also the other thing is that I was turning 50, I just turned 50 and um, I felt like I'd lived enough life that I could look back with wisdom. Indeed. Perspective. Yeah. Indeed. And um, I found this book so interesting because I have, of course, read all of your personal essays and I talked to you so I know things about your life, but I had never put it all together. And the way you put it together um, in this memoir is really unique, I think, because I think a lot of people do try to um, publish essay collections and not change anything. Um, I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> um, uh, but tell me about your approach to, to writing this memoir in that regard. You know, it was funny this morning, I was, um, I, a book critic put in a request to my publicist about how, about sort of, identifying what was previously published material in the book. Um, and it's not a one-to-one, -one. it's not like, um, oh, I wrote this essay. There's there's only a couple of times where, or actually I think there's only one time where something appears in its actual intact form. And, you know, a one-to-one -one meaning this is, you know, this is how this essay existed in the world and now this is how it exists in the book. Most of what I did was I took, um, I took things and there's really like a, in my mind, there's a collage effect to it mm -hmm. or, or a kaleidoscopic effect, which is not any different than how I write my novels too. Mm -hmm. um, in that, it, you know, there's like kind of a fractured view of the world in a lot of ways. And so my, you know, so a lot of the, there, there's certainly more than enough new material in the book that you won't read it and think, oh, I'm, I'm just reading a rehash of things that have already existed. You know, I already read the New York Times Magazine or something like that. But um, I did really want to, um, I don't know, I just really wanted to tell, make sure the story was told in a, in a, in a rich, a richer way than mm -hmm. when you fit it into the, you know, writing an essay about getting a hysterectomy for an 800 word column in the New York Times Magazine. A letter of recommendation. <laughs> a letter of recommendation about getting a hysterectomy. I mean, it's got to fit, you know what I mean? It's got to have a certain spot like there's a there's a tone to that that they want and there's a there's a narrative arc to it that fits that but I, life doesn't really fit into those neat little boxes truly 
you yeah. know? So you, and you're always cho choosing like one angle when you're writing for a magazine or a newspaper, that's like the, you can't, you can't just be, it's not all of life's, life's rich tapestry. And even when I wrote the book too, like I knew that I was like carving out a narrative, like a version of myself. It's as, it's as close as you're gonna get to me, but it's still, there's still plenty of things that I like left out. Like the document was 90,000 words when I started, 92,000 when I started and 72,000 when I was done. So where did the 20,000 word part of me go? <laughs> we'll never know it doesn't um, it's gone it's dead now <laughs> no, um, so no, I, I, yeah so uh, go ahead go ahead no I, I I having to pick and choose the parts of your life to put in and out of order in particular seems like it must have been a particular challenge you it was really that. hard yeah, no, I'm just thinking about it. It was really hard. It was like, um, I did so many revisions on it, uh, more than I usually do with a novel. Because yeah. by the time I'm, because I already, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work on a novel, but it's like, I can control it at a certain point. I thought it was going to be kind of easier because I was like, well, I don't have to invent anything. Right. But of course I had to invent the structure and I had to invent the narrative arc of, of my life. Um, it was, uh, it was really, it was challenging. I, I, I had to figure out how to make, how to earn the moments, you know, earn the, earn the, you know, earn the highlights or whatever. So I, I, um, yeah, I did a lot of revisions. I had a lot of feedback. I had a lot of readers at different mm -hmm. times. I had new readers that I never had before. I had a lot of conversations with people who were, who were memoirists. And got a lot of advice from people where I never had got, you know, maybe the first couple of books I was getting seeking that kind of advice, but by book four, you're like yeah. just kind of in you know, you know, you know what you're doing. It's familiar. And this was like I really, it was a new genre and I really had kind of had a hack through it. So I mean, mostly it was like like a really good piece of advice. Like Sam Sam Irby was like, just remember that the person at your grocery store could read your book. So like whatever you put in there, you have to be comfortable with like that person People knowing, looking at you. And, and I still don't even know if I like nailed it, you know, we're going to find out how people, what I've been getting a lot of reviews that sound like, that say that I sound like I'm nice, which I don't know if that's really true. I, I I would say that you sound like a lot of things in this memoir, but that's not a word that comes I, to mind automatically. Yeah, or like you know, like I'm likable or something. Something maybe likable is, you know, it's funny for all the books I've written where everyone talks about how unlikable my characters are, mm -hmm. and then I mean, and I feel I felt certain I was unlikable in this as well. <laughs> I probably I will be to some people. I'm sure. And, and of course, when you're the main character, Jamie Attenberg, then criticisms about what you do become <laughs> criticisms about you in a way that criticisms about your prose is not. Yeah, so I thought I, so we'll see. I mean, I, I thought I could handle it. I felt like I was removed enough from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like the things that I did that were quote unquote bad or, mm -hmm where I might regret it or I, I don't know like I thought well it's 10 years away or 15 years away or five years away like 
haven't I learned some lessons? There's a kind of throwaway line um, at one point in the book where you're talking about um, some relationships you've had, or maybe not even relationships, some um, interactions. And some people are worth writing about and some people aren't. And of course that's true, but how do you decide? Oh my gosh, let me tell you, I, I had somebody that I was writing about at that moment when I was writing the book and I kept writing about them and writing about them and not writing, you know, and like kind of like not writing like as in I wrote a 10,000 words about them, but just like sort of deciding whether or not I was going to put them in the book or not put them in the book. And then there were other people and what I was going to, it was something not nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I finally just went, how do I really feel about this? Well, I feel like they're actually not worth writing about. Like they don't get to be in the story of my life. Yeah. Take up right? pages. Cause they're not the really, book. yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's not, it's not really important. So that that's how I, that was like a marker for me, you know, how, and, but how do I, how did I decide? Like, because it wasn't going to move my story along mm-hmm. anywhere new. It was just like, oh, I'm annoyed with this person, but like, it wasn't going to take me to like any, any new place. It didn't serve, didn't serve a bigger purpose. I don't, I'm not writing from a vengeful place in this book. Yeah. There are times that I'm writing about things that were like bad things that happened to me, Mm -hmm. but they just felt important enough to write about that. I felt like they important enough in the, in the story of my life and in the story of the book. Yeah. Sometimes it's different, right? Like there's things that happen that aren't really about like the evolution of myself as like a writer or an artist, a little bit maybe as a person, but in the grand scheme of things, probably it exists in my, it exists in my timeline, but it's a blip. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to change tax here for a moment Okay. because I know that when you first started writing this book, um, you really wanted to tell ghost stories. And there are certainly a lot of them in the book still, but tell me about including them, what, what, you, what you had originally wanted to do, how that changed. Yeah, I mean, it was originally, this book has had many titles mm-hmm. and the original title that we sold it on for, in the proposal was The Bone Chapel, which is still a title of one of the mm-hmm. um, chapters. But it was about, it's set in, um, that chapter is set in a um, bone chapel in, in Avora in Portugal. And, um, and I thought that was the, sort of the heart of the book when I was writing it as, as a proposal. But of course, once you start writing the book, you see that there's lots of other things that are, that are going on. And then you choose, you have to just sort of choose which one, which makes the most sense. I mean, I, um, I am fascinated with ghosts and, um, and I love to ask people if they've seen ghosts. And I think that even if you haven't, we all have our ghost stories. It's a very popular metaphor. I mean, yes. And that works so well. Yeah. I'm not the only one. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about travel and lack thereof, because you, like so many people we know, most of the world has been grounded or had been grounded last year. Um, and, and so much of this book is about traveling. Mm. Tell me what it was like to have to stay home. 
Um, you know, I kind of had a little bit of an identity crisis as I'm sure many people did, but because so much of my job was going out there in the world and traveling and being on tour and meeting people or teaching or speaking engagements or things like that. And because, because all of that kind of like went away, I mean, mostly went away. I did a little bit of Zoom teaching, but that was about it. I had some, you know, a couple months there where I just thought, do I have value <laughs> <laughs> to exist? Do I exist? Um, but then I learned, but I, I eventually I got arrived at the place where I was like, well, this is just, you know, going to be the time that you write and that you should just do, do that. But I, I think travel is so important, um, for people, for artists, mm -hmm. if you can. And I don't even mean like traveling to all, you know, I traveled a lot in this book to far flung locations, but even I just think traveling cross town can be pretty important. Um, especially if your job is to look at a screen all day. Yeah. And getting get out in the world, kind of, huh? Getting out in the world is really important. So I did do that. Like I was able to be out here in New Orleans because the weather was pretty nice and we had, you know, backyards and front porches and things like that. And I had a car so I could drive around That's the great. South a little bit and things like that. Um, but I miss, but I, but I miss being that person who was out in the world. And I think that there is a longing that isn't in the book for that. Mm. Uh, um, I, I, I feel like I've had some people read the book and say, this made me want to travel and made me want to go places again. So there's, um, I maybe romanticized it. I, I talk plenty about how traveling can be really hard too. Yeah. But, um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to like eat <laughs> somewhere else. Eat somewhere <laughs> else is like, what a yeah. great, um goal <laughs> um and you and you do talk um a bunch about some of the food you've eaten in your travels and um all right I don't have anywhere to go with that either <laughs> I'm trying to think about it about where how we could talk about that but I I did write a lot I you know for me right writing and thinking and talking about food is crucial it's something I do and I've certainly done in my, in my fiction. So it was yeah. fun to think about it, think about it here. There's like, when I go to Italy in the, in the yeah. book, there's, I drink a lot of Aperol spritzes in the You're book. You're a trend starter. <laughs> <laughs> that was I'm before so, anybody else was doing it here. <laughs> I really was loving the Aperol spritzes so much in the book. Uh, I don't know, just all the travel just made me writing about it and thinking about it it's the travel version of ourselves is something really special too, I think. Yeah. You, you literally don't have baggage except for the luggage you bring. You could be anything you want to be, but that's also like in New York too. Yeah. I would love that about New York city that you could just step, step outside your front door and you, you didn't necessarily, you weren't necessarily going to see anyone you knew all day. It's a different experience than living in a small town or living in New Orleans even. Mm-hmm. Like I know I'm gonna if I if I spent, walk out my door three times in a day I'm definitely gonna run into somebody that I know, so I love I I miss the anonymity. And yet all. you write about your home in Williamsburg with such like I always felt going there that there was such a level of community in that building, um, and that you going out 
on your roof at night to look at the, the skyline um, was to see so many people you knew so intimately. Truly, yeah. I love, I, it was a very special place. It was, I lived in uh, three apartments when I lived in New York. I lived in one in the East Village. I lived in one in, in Hell's Kitchen right after 9-11. And then I lived in that apartment building. Oh no, I lived in one in Union Square too for like a year. But I, I lived in that apartment building for 12, 12 years, 14 years, um, which was a really long time, mm -hmm. 14 years. And, um, and I, I had thought, whenever I thought, oh, I'm not gonna live in that building anymore. I don't know what's gonna happen. And I thought, where would I, else would I live in New York? And the answer was really nowhere. I couldn't live anywhere but there in the city. Like a, it was the end of the line for me to leave that apartment building. So there is a chapter in the book where I talk about that, um, that version of myself that was, it's where I emerged as a writer. There's just so many versions of myself in this book. I, I do have a deep fascination with, with versions of ourselves. You know, I think if you, especially if you're somebody who is not um, partnered up um, or doesn't have, even I think doesn't have kids, it's a little bit easier to, to be, to have multiple versions of yourself. Um, just because you have, you can have a more unconventional schedule or something like, I suppose, or something like that. Um, and I, I, I kind of treasure that. I treasure like the, the freedom to be constantly reinventing yourself. Cause that's what it is every time I sit down to write a book. Yeah. It's always, it's sure. always like, I was always, I'm always in a different phase in my life when I'm writing a book and I can identify, I, all the like, again, there's that like timeline idea, but like, I can identify where, where I was, what relationship I was in, mm -hmm. you know, what my financial situation was, if I was, you know, a freelancer still, if I, where I was living, where I traveled, where it was published, was it published just in the US or was it published in other countries, right. things like that. All of it sort of, my, my whole like life is, you know, starting at the age of 34 is organized around, you know, books. Yeah. And I loved that there's a part in your book where um, a writer takes you to a bar and wants to pick your brain and you make it very clear that what she was looking for was like a, you did this thing, how do I do it? Give me the formula, give me the like keys to success. And of course, it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. And I would say that that character was a composite character mm -hmm. of a couple of people, just to cl clarify that point. But it is a question that multiple people have asked me in my life. Like, how do you, just like, what did you do? How? How is this book different? What you know? How do you crack? The, how do you crack the code, etc.? And like the answer is like you is that you just keep working nonstop forever, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have life and you survive it, and then you keep going, and that's really that's really it. There's no, there are just no shortcuts ever. There are shortcuts for some people, but they're not. That's not. Then it's not really like their whole probably not hundred percent their work that they're making, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they hear about people who like hire, and this is no shade on people who hire ghostwriters or anything like that, or ghost editors. And I, I certainly there's, you know, at least been once or twice in my life where I've thought, of, thought about it, but it is a, it becomes a collaboration at that point. 
mm-hmm. when you hire when you hire somebody else to to kind of rework your work. So um, I think of that as like a shortcut. Interesting, and yet you have this newsletter um, called Craft Talk yeah. that really does like I never thought I'd see you um send out a regular I don't know what happened to me I really don't (laughs) know right I know all the things that you vowed not to do that's okay I mean I I started the newsletter because I didn't I after so many years of social media I mean I've had an I had an online journal in the late 90s so it's 20 years really of like being present on the internet and not liking any of the work that I was doing on it. And, you know, it was helpful in the way that I like was able to like make friends and connect with people and people. And sometimes I had really good, there was a stretch of time before Twitter became like the hellhole that it is (laughs) where I could like tweet and I had enough editors following me that if there was a good idea, I would get work off of it, right? Like there, and that still happens, right? But it's a lot more noise you have to kind of sift yes. through to get there but it yes. was it was for a period certainly for a couple of years there a period like very helpful to my career and you know or helpful not very not like like I wasn't going to die without it but like it was, <laughs> ni- it was nice to have you know and um and so especially like uh summer of 2020 but even before that you know really the whole era of the last president um it became a really volatile place to be, but I couldn't seem to quite get away from it. I thought maybe I was supposed to be on it, that kind of thing. And then I also had this experience um, because I was doing all this teaching, I wasn't really paying attention to it. I was just doing it. You, you don't, when you get a teaching gig for a workshop, you don't know who's, you don't, can't really pick and choose who's going to be in your class. Yeah. You just sort of show up and, and that's who it is, but it's just like people who could afford to spend time with you. And there was something about in the pandemic when I was teaching those classes and you saw exactly who you were spending time with because it was like just on these like these tight screens and you're like, these are the only people that are going to get this information from my head. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think it was going to be, I just was trying to figure out what the best use of my time was. Mm-hmm. Like the best way to direct my energy to be helpful to people and to share the knowledge that I had, whatever it's worth, right? I actually think that mostly people like the fact that I'm like, just basically saying you can do it. I think that's helpful (laughs) to them. And I talk a little bit about process, but mostly I I think it's just that I, it's it's almost like it's the idea of someone showing up for them every week. I love that. And, and I love that um, the newsletter came out of this idea that it is all about the work and you have this very, very specific directive uh, every summer um, that you have to put yes. in work every single day. Yeah, yeah. The thousand words a summer thing, that also was something that started. For, there's Honestly, it is just, no one is more surprised than I am that I'm <laughs> m- m- nicer now. <laughs> <laughs> not that I was like mean before but I was <laughs> very protective of like being in my little box and making my work you know so there's mm-hmm. like an, and it, it might be because I left New York it right like I think it sort of coincided with that a little bit because I think in New York we are 
you know, when you're there, you're protective of your space and you go home and you just want to be in that little world and then being like leaving it and just have feeling more, having more of an openness and expansiveness in general in my life is part of, part of that probably too. I don't know. I can't really, I can't really explain it. I, I went had therapy. I don't know. <laughs> I love this. Um, <laughs> And, and one of the things, of course, that I loved in the book is how you talk about so many other books, uh, what you were reading at the time or, you know, something an author said once. Um, and so now I'm wondering if what I'm can, reading right now, if you can perhaps recommend some books. Yeah, for I can. But can I just say one thing about talking about other writers in the book? Yes. There was something like so freeing about doing that where I was like, am I going to just talk about this poem that I like for a while in the book? Sure. You know, can I just talk about what I was reading when I was on this vacation and like what it meant to me to read? And it felt like kind of, it felt wild to do that. Like in a, in, like, like I was like, I'm going to choose these books to mark this moment in time. But really those were the books that I was reading and they are the books that I think about and they are the books that I recommend to people. There's so many other books too, but, um, but it just felt like, like I was like, oh, it's my book. I can do whatever I want to do. You know, it was exciting. It's exciting. Writing is so fun. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yes, I can tell you about what I'm reading. I'm reading Melissa Thebos's body work which is cool. She's very cool and smart. And I basically think she's like, not that she wants to be, but she's kind of a cult leader. Like, I think, I, I, think, she should, I think she should be a cult leader. She would be such a benevolent cult leader. I feel like it would be a cult where you might like be, learn to be a better person. <laughs> you would be a better person and you feel a little sexier. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So um, she's got that book that's coming out from Catapult, which is putting out lots of little interesting craft books, mm -hmm. which is nice that they're doing that. It feels very 1970s over there. I love it. In that way. Yeah. And her cover, Melissa's cover is very 1970s. It's like, it looks like a therapist waiting, 1970s therapist waiting room. Ooh, they, um, they do a great job with covers over there. Yeah, they seem to be having a good time. Um, the other book that I'm reading, I'm in this book club, or I was, I hope they haven't kicked me out because I haven't been there in a while, but I was in, I'm, I was in Maria Semple's book club. Other people were in the book club too, but that's how I was invited. Over it's, Zoom? It's, it's a Zoom book club with all these great people. And, um, but I am a little fried right now, so I haven't been able to read anything new, but I read two books there, or I'm reading one book, which is this Dominic Fabre, The Waitress Was New. It's a translation. And I'm really enjoying it so much. And it's like a, such a beautiful little book and design. And it's written, it's like a nice first person, bittersweet tale of a bartender in, in not in Paris, in France, I should say. I don't think he's in Paris. And he's just talking about all the people and, who come into the bar or the restaurant and um, the owner and his wife and the affairs. And I don't know. I'm just really loving it. And then also I read Mrs. Bridge through this book club. Which oh I yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah. Which is like the greatest book ever. Really one of the greatest books. It's so cool. And it makes me, you could, first of all, you can't, you don't get to write like that. 
like it makes you immediately want to write in that structure and the and like if you did people would be like get your own idea buddy yeah this is true you can't (laughs) so you can't do it but it's it makes me feel good to think about that book how successful it was at what it was trying to do it's very exciting to me and it's like um it's like a Lydia it reminds me of like Lydia Davis in a way or Lydia Davis reminds me of Evan O'Connell because each story it's just story it's just like each story is a each chapter is like a joke yeah do you know what I mean yeah I do that's how hers hers is so I see the connection there and I like her work so much so and all the set everything is all the sentences are so tight and pure and true Mm -hmm. just like in your memoir I came all this way to meet you (laughs) oh gosh I've forgot I wrote a book thank you for a second there I <laughs> forgot and it was so nice I'm full of so much dread <laughs> no um I mean this is it's we're talking in December and your book will be out in January so it's an appropriate time to feel dread for sure it's a but, month away yeah but but um should I give you a pep talk Ooh. Yeah, I'm, I'm now combining pepper. elements of of my husband's podcast into my own. Um, <laughs> what did I text you that um, so many different kinds of readers are going to read this book, and some of them will be writers as well, and they are just they're so lucky. You, you're cheating now you're cheating now because you're showing me your your puggle Sid <laughs> no but that's nice of you to say and I, just yeah came and the I, room. Just, I just um I I really find this book inspiring not just as as a creative person I would say that like you really capture the joys of exploration and so, and, and, and you were kind of a bad person, but never really that bad. That's my- Just as bad, bad as everyone else. Bad as everyone else. Um, yes, that's my, my final judgment. Um, Jamie, thank you so much. Maris, thank you. That was such a nice pep talk. And you're, you're a good friend to me and you're a good friend to other people I care about. And you're a good friend to books. And you're a good friend of dogs. That's all I've ever wanted to be. Thank you. That's Jake. it. You, you've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.